Kia ora. Welcome to 168 Days of Magic. This is the podcast that invites you to empower your creative spirit and get stuck into a project that nourishes, nurtures and excites you. Each episode, we'll be looking at how mindfulness, productivity and creativity all come together to give you the power, stamina and resilience to bring something new into the world. My name's Jordan Harcourt Hughes, and I'm an artist living on New Zealand's stunning Kapiti Coast, which is just an hour north of Wellington. I'll be your host and creative champion on this journey, and I'll also be introducing you to some other wonderful people along the way, including some of our other local artists, wellbeing practitioners, and life coaches to help us on our journey. Well, welcome to episode three of the podcast. Today on the creative front, I'll be talking about my own creative project that I'm working on as I'm doing this podcast. My podcast chat is with Kapiti neurotherapist Corin Allen. She's going to be talking about color diagnostics and birth colors. She's one of the most fascinating, intelligent people I know, so stick around for that. She's amazing. Uh, and on the productivity front, we'll be talking about how you can select a support team to help you with your creative work. So today I just wanted to share with you a little bit about my own creative project. So one of the things I wanted to do with this podcast was to share my creative process with you. So I'm going to be doing a creative project at the same time as I'm encouraging you to to get creative and do your own project. So I thought I'd just give you a bit of a background to what that creative project is. I am writing my second novel. I indie published my novels. I published the first one a few years ago. And one of the things that is a little bit different about what I do is that I do an illustrated edition of my book. And it's really just a way for me to combine my creative pleasures, which is writing and painting. One of the things that I've found, though, over the years is that sometimes the practice of writing doesn't give me the full story. So I do a lot of writing and I get a lot of the story ideas through just that practice of turning up and writing and putting words down on the page. But what I found when I was doing the review of the first draft of this book is there were big chunks of the story missing and I couldn't figure out how to bring them in. And I was finding it very hard to verbalise what those parts of the story were. And over time, I realized that actually bits of the story were turning up in my paintings. And it took me ages to realize that. And it was just a very subtle thing that I started thinking, oh, that's kind of what I was trying to say in the book when I was looking at a a scribble or a doodle or a, a draft of an artwork or a sketch. And gradually, I started looking around the studio and thinking, oh, no, hang on, that's a bit of the story as well. Ah, that's what I wanted to say. And I think it's partly because some things that come through in an intuitive way come through visually rather than in words. And I think that's a key part of connecting to the subconscious is the subconscious has different tools of expression and communication. And the subconscious doesn't necessarily connect to our logical way of thinking. So it makes perfect sense for me as an intuitive writer and artist that some of the story ideas that I want to be able to express are coming up in a visual way. But you know, it's funny how long it took me to uh, to kind of connect that. But anyway, so I'm planning on doing an illustrated edition of this second novel. So it really sits outside of any kind of general niche um, for books, but it's part of my creative expression. And I always think that we should do what our creativity tells us. So be truthful and honor, honor the creative ideas that come through. So this is a kind of a weird thing that I do, but I do love it. And I do find that there's stuff in the, in the artwork that represents the story far better than words can. Way back in my early days, I went to university to study journalism and I really, I hated it. And I walked away from that degree thinking, no, I want to find some other better way of expressing ideas. And that's when I started getting into art. And I think really art is better at expressing things 
at a higher, more intuitive, sacred and spiritual level than words can. And maybe I don't do that particularly well, but I think the artwork that I do resonates with the ideas that I like to explore. So I try and bring that into the story. My own creative project is about creating the illustrations for the second novel. I think there's going to be about 16 illustrations throughout the book. And what I do is I look to explore the work that I'm working on in the studio, see what's coming up that aligns with the ideas of the book, and then see how they can become illustrations. For me, I'm not really an illustrator per se, so I don't do things that look like anything. I'm an abstract artist, Mm -hmm. and I paint colours and shapes and and random things that sometimes look like flowers and sometimes look like ocean, you know, but it's, you know, it's very interpretive and subjective. So it is coming at illustration from an abstract artist's perspective. And so, again, it's just me finding my way and exploring and experimenting, really. But I do think it's a really nice process, and it's something that I just love. And again, it's a really relaxing and enjoyable part of my life that I've got the opportunity to explore these ideas, even if they don't make a huge amount of sense, even if there's not necessarily a great market for them. Um, Again, for me, it's about honouring my creative ideas and just seeing where they go and see how I can bring them to life in the best way. So I'll be sharing more about this as I go and sharing with you how I'm going about the basic idea to the final product delivery. So stay tuned for more on that. If you're interested to know more about my creative practice, including artworks, books, magazines, and my schedule for workshops and courses in 2022, visit my website, jordanharcourthughes.com. Well, with me today for my podcast chat is the amazing Corinne Allen. She's a neurotherapist and owner of Capity Neurotherapy in Waikanae. She is also an art therapist. She works with children, teenagers and adults to improve their emotional and physical well-being. And so we're talking about art and colour for well-being today. Corinne, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. So Corinne, you're an art therapist and a neurotherapist. What does art therapy offer people? Well, art therapy gives a client a chance to um, express their emotions in a non-verbal way. Mm. So art therapy is not that we expect you to be an artist. We, we know you're not going to a fine art degree, so it's nothing to do with the artistic abilities in itself. It has to do with being in an environment where we can try new things, where we can have an open mind and go, oh, i never done that. How to approach that? How to deal with my insecurities? And to come away from our busy mind. So many people are always overstimulated mm-hmm. and a lot of people have a tendency to overthink or being very analytical and they sometimes think about a problem five, twenty times, but they're still not coming to the step of actually doing something. So with art therapy, if you work with soft pastels or with clay, um, wood, concrete, all the different art modalities we can use, you um, use your body and through the use of your body, if we do garden work or if we bake or anything we do with our hands we relax because the body lets go stress through the feet Mm. and through the hand so if we are able to work with our hands and we do something which is easy and enjoyable which 
away from the idea of perfection. So completely the other side, so we pour paint on a canvas or something which goes away from the idea of perfection and see, oh, that's actually quite nice. Um, through that we relax and if we are in an environment we, we are safe and we are listened to and we are cared, we can engage with our emotions and if we can engage with our emotion we can later on start to talk about it if we want. Mm. But the therapeutic aspect in itself, the art therapy is in a tree house so it's surrounded mm. by trees which I believe as closer you are to nature as better it is. It has a healing effect in itself. The products I use um, like the pastels are made out of um, earth pigments which I either mix with an oil binder or with a water binder mm. so they're chemical free as well for children with high sensitive skin mm. there is no chemicals the clay we use is earth clay made in New Zealand and it's very beautiful to work and we know for children, teenagers and adults for trauma recovery clay is very good yeah. because the clay is like a body mm. and we need to be gentle with the clay mm. and every pressure we put on changes the form of the clay. So it's something we can work very beautiful mm. with. Um, yeah, and it's really, our therapy is really designed to help you to let go of past events. Mm. So if you're not happy and something has really impacted you, if you not deal with it, it the problem won't go away and if you learn to let go of past events it frees you up of enjoying mm. life in a different way and it goes as well into positive self-talk it goes into color meditation it goes into how to approach something out of my comfort zone in um, building self-confidence so lots of children they come to me and they say, oh, I'm really bad at mess, I'm really bad with handwriting. But then two hours later they walk out with a wonderful art piece and mm. the pride and the happiness which comes. So we have a lot of children with neurodiversity, with struggle with everyday structural things or with social interaction or academic learning. But quite often they are hugely, hugely talented mm. and very gifted in the creative mm. um, area. And I have a young person which um, I work for a few years, she's now a college, and we have over the last two years put the portfolio together of the different, like we've done pop art or we've done soft pastel or watercolor techniques. And, you know, that really can help to go into a graphic design mm. or any other job if you kind of go, ooh, I have the confidence to try things out, I have the confidence to explore. And um, creativity leads to creative thinking. Mm. Creative thinking leads to problem solving and problem solving le leads to emotional intelligence. Mm. And emotional intelligence is really everything. Mm. How do I deal with my emotions and how do I deal with other emotions? Mm. Fantastic. Thank you. Now, you also use colour diagnostics as a tool. How does that work? 
Yeah, um, color diagnostic is a um, very interesting tool. So in New Zealand, the, the clinical diagnostics, they are really very comprehensive and quite often almost a torture for children mm. with global developmental delay or autism. So they have to do puzzle, they have to do writing, they have to do sequences, they have to do numbers. And it's really, really a lot mm. of work. Um, call, um, the Max Lusher color diagnostic has been um, designed by Dr. Max Lusher. He was a Swiss psychi- psychotherapist. And he done this study in 1947 while he was pursuing his doctorate in study of psychology. And in 1980, the Lucia Color Diagnostic Test was um, released. It won the Nobel Prize and is today used in 54 countries. It is a deep psychological test. You have eight colors, and out of those eight colors, there are 5,015 5, possible definitions coming out. And the color diagnostic test can, um, can show highlight 23 personality traits. So it, it helps, um, it showcases colors are always chosen unconsciously. So if a person goes to farmers and so, oh, I love this orange soft chamber and buys it and wears for six weeks an orange chamber and absolutely loves it and then one day she puts it in the cupboard and never wears it, that's because unconsciously she chose what she needed. So the color orange is the color of comfort. We need a poo, a pumpkin soup, or a fire um, represents comfort. And unconsciously, this person has given herself comfort, and when she didn't need it anymore, the response to the chamber changed. Mm. So she didn't need it that mm. anymore. Um, the, color, the color diagnostic shows the cause of stress, and the underlining issue which causes this stress. Mm. It shows um, the colors are unconsciously chosen. So we, so I like blue, I like green. And the color diagnostic works like that, that somebody says, I, I have the colors in front of me, and I say to you, um, which color of the eight colors in front of you represents trust for you? And you pick that color which you s- represents for you trust. And then I say all the other colors from how which one you like the most is in the front and which ones you like the least goes on the back. So each time a question comes, you arrange the colors. Mm-hmm. And that goes into a diagnostic shield, into the computer, and from those color rows, there is for each variation a clinical, mm. a, a psychological explanation mm. to it. Um, yeah, and it it works very well. So Max Lucher as well um, did did wrote, write a book. It's called The Four Color Person. It's a very interesting book that every person has four colors. One color represents the environment, one color represents family, one color represents intellectual knowledge, 
and one color represents personalities. Mm. But how those colors are, that's with each person mm. different. And um, yeah, it, uh, colors, colors are visual emotions. Mm. That's what they are. So we can read emotions out of paintings and in color psychology we learn how to use colors and everybody who does branding knows color psychology so the color the dark blue which you often see in pictures in the church where um, Mary had the dark blue coat on the color blue, the dark blue, is the color of trust, and that's why real estate agents mm. and the National Bank, they mm. all use this dark blue, and unconsciously we understand that. Mm. So if a person would, as example, have lost trust, maybe at work they would have been bullied, um, or they would have been overpowered or not included, they have lost trust, so they have lost the color blue. And maybe the color blue has manifested itself in the body, so each organ has a, col has a color too. So the color blue is in the lungs, if this person wouldn't have constant bronchitis and, and coughs. And maybe the person on the psychological side starts to be controlling and micromanagement because of the loss of trust, then psychologically she's in the color blue too. And if this person would develop a, a depression, the color that is blue too. So then we would go, this person has an overuse of blue. She's blue in the body, she's blue in the emotional, she's blue psychologically, the way she reacts mm. to being controlling. And um, mentally it has started to affect her. Um, so we can, of course, make... Um, psychotherapy and everything but that doesn't work for everybody mm. not everybody want to talk about the feelings mm. but we can trick the brain mm. so every color we use goes through the eyes in our brain and the opposite color of blue is yellow mm. every, most people know that yellow is the color of the daffodils the color of the sun the color of happiness so we can consciously paint with yellow we can consciously eat yellow pineapples we can um, have yellow flower pots on our windowsills so have a yellow um, shawl or yellow necklaces anything and each time the, the eye sees this color, it goes into the brain and the brain gives you a positive feedback. Mm. It's called um, neurofeedback. We have as well biofeedback. And so therefore, in the art therapy, we can, of course, with colors, um, stimulate positive emotions. Mm. Or if a person has like too much yellow um, and they are euphoric, we can bring down with blue, we can calm the person. So we use blue as well in, in marketing, um, as color psychology, we use blue. Um, physiotherapists, if a person has an injury, they use blue straps to heal the muscle. So we can use colors emotionally to heal. We can use colors for biofeedback. So the body understands colors very well. Mm, that's just fascinating. 
So much amazing information there. Um, if you had one tip for people when it came to balancing daily life, which can be hectic and challenging and, and, and so on, and personal well-being, what would it be? Drink lots and lots of water mm. every day. Use your body every day. Go every day at least for an hour out in nature. Trust yourself. Trust your feelings. Trust your intuition. Love yourself. You don't need to be perfect to be loved. Forgive yourself for mistakes. See it as a learning path and say, what have I done? Reflect on it and see how can I improve it. Don't buckle up emotions. Open up about emotions. Ask for help. Ask for support and give support if needed. Stop spending time on social media. At six o'clock, turn social yeah. media up. Have a nice dinner, have a nice bath, or do something with your free time. Mm. Have a good support system around you. Have a positive self-talk. Paint. Mm. Use colors mm. everywhere you can. Do learn to breathe mm. and sleep lots. Yeah. And if you do all of that, you're probably gonna be. It's right. a great prescription for a good life. Thank yeah. you, Corinne. Yes, thank you very much for having me. So I'm talking with the amazing Corinne Allen today. We continue to chat further about birth colours and light therapy. So you can read our full chat online. Visit jordanharcourthughes.com. Just jump over to the episode notes page and you'll find our full conversation there. If you're interested in finding out more about her work, take a look at her websites, capitaliarttherapy.com or neurotherapy.nz. So on the productivity front today, I wanted to talk about how you can select the best team to have around you as you go about doing, creating, ideating, thinking, and delivering your creative project. So selecting your team is something that you can do to help you stay on track with your creative work. So I think one of the things that we come across with creative work is that it can be challenging. Uh, Sometimes it feels like we're doing all this stuff and we're not sure if we're getting anywhere. It can be easy to feel like you've lost momentum. Uh, And when you start to feel that way, it's very, very easy to get off track and just go and do something else and forget about the project. So if you really want to commit to something, I think it's really important to think about who you can have around you to help you get across the line. And six months, as we've said, is a reasonable amount of time. Uh, It does require that commitment and it requires you to feel like you've got the support to really give it a good go. So, you know, a creative project always has different journeys and you go down different paths and you often end up in a very different space than you than you thought you would. But the main thing is that you get across the line one way or another. And one of the best things that you can do to make sure that you get across the line, you, you fulfill your goals and ambitions, is to have the right people around you that can support you. So I thought I'd talk today about who can be in your team from champions, family, friends, mentors, coaches, and resources. So let's take the first one, family. So it's great to have your family on board with you uh, as you go about doing this this new thing. And 
in terms of what they can do to help you, it may be giving you a little bit more space and time to do your creative work. They may take up some of the other family responsibilities to, to let you relax and allocate more of your energy to this thing. So that can be a nice way that family can support you. And also they're great champions. They're always going to love you and love what you do. Uh, and sometimes you just need that unconditional appreciation to keep you bolstered and keep you going. So family is a wonderful thing for that. And the same for friends. Friends can give you that wonderful support just because they're your friends and they want you to be happy and to do well. And I think friends can also be great to bounce around ideas with, to talk about what you're trying to achieve. And they can give you their own ideas as well about things that you may not have thought about. And they can also probably tell you about your own strengths and how you do things well in a way that you may not have thought about. So it's great to ask them to give you some advice and some feedback and ask for encouragement along the way because your friends are absolutely going to be the people that will commit to doing that with you. The next thing I want to talk about is mentors. So mentors can turn up in all different shapes and sizes and it may be a very casual relationship that you look to develop or it may be just a few coffee chats, a few Zoom catch-ups, a few back and forth emails. But just the idea of mentors is to look around, look around your local community, look around to Uh, your professional environment, your professional networks, and have a think about who are the people that could actually help me deliver this thing? Who could help me grow as a creative person? Who could help me think through some of the challenges? Who could give me some professional feedback? Who could I ask for guidance from? And I think there's a lot of people out there that are willing to help you if you ask and if they know about you. And it may be that you find mentors that are just willing to have a chat with you and give you some free advice. And I think, you know, they may end up being really long-term beneficial networks and support people. So it's a great thing to do. Just cast your imagination out, cast your thinking around who could you ask for help. So that's just a a mentor idea in a very generic sense uh, and a free sense. So this is really just, you know, you might pay for a coffee, you might shout people out for a drink just to get, you know, just to be able to have a conversation and, and ask for some tips and tricks. The other thing you might want to think about is actually getting a coach that you pay to help you. So this may be a creative coach, a business coach, a productivity coach, anything that can help you get your work across the line. So if you're really intentional, if you're really committed and you want to make sure that this creative project works to help you develop professionally, creatively, build your profile, build your network, then sometimes paying someone to give you a steer and give you guidance and keep you accountable can be a really great thing. So that's another thing to consider. It may be very early in the picture for you and it may not be worth paying someone just yet, but it may also be something that you want to think about down the track. The other thing that I think is great to think about are the resources that you can pull around you. So I know from personal experience that podcasts and books are ways that I always stay inspired and informed and engaged. So I listen to a lot of different podcasts, I read books, I listen to audiobooks on the way to work, and that really does trigger a lot of creative thinking for me. And so I always come away with new ideas, new ways of potentially exploring an idea. So they're great things to add to your uh, your team, really, essentially. So that, you know, you might listen to a, a podcaster from the other side of the world, and just because you don't have that personal connection doesn't mean that they aren't able to help you through their own experience and, and what they're talking about in their podcast. So this podcast, hopefully, is one of those things as well. So I'm here to help you to build your creative project to develop professionally and personally and creatively. So use this podcast also as an additional tool. So just in summary, 
Selecting your team, it can be a very informal thing. It could just be you thinking about it and scribbling a few notes. It could be enacting a a more formal plan of going out and contacting and engaging people. Whatever works for you, give it a go. Champions, family, friends, mentors, coaches, and resources that you can pull around you. These are all great things that will help you uh, get your creative project across the line. Well, that's it for us today. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. Tune in next time on the Mindfulness Front. I'll be talking about four easy things that I do and that you can try as well to transition into a more mindful space. My podcast chat is with naturopath and reflexologist Yusserian Faye. And Yusserian's giving us her top wellbeing tips for creatives. And on the productivity front, I'll be sharing how I've defined my own goals and intentions for my creative project. (music) 